Welcome to the Millennial Way. Real millennials, real success. This is how they did it. Tailoring the next generation of leaders. I'm proud to be your host, Chase Coleman. Y'all, what is up? What is going on? I'm your host, Chase Coleman, and welcome back to the Millennial Way. We have another fantastic roundtable special here today. I have three of my former teammates who are now doing fantastic things in the world. I have Vinny Silvestri, who is now an assistant football coach at Milton High School, which is actually where we both played and graduated from. I have Charles Wallace, who just got his PhD last week. And you know what? First off, kudos to you, Charles, on the PhD, because man, I'm just so proud and so happy for you. But he is, I mean, shoot, dude just got his PhD and now he's looking to embark on his next journey. And he played football at Delaware State as well as Stetson University, my alma mater. And then I have a repeat guest, Spencer Whitaker, who is joining us today all the way down from Orlando, Florida. And Spencer is currently a JD candidate at FAMU. And he also played football with me at Stetson University. So I'm really excited to have these guys on. And before I even get into this, I just got to let you guys know that I have actually been dealing with a sleep problem. And it's not a sleep problem that just came up out of nowhere. Um, I actually went finally saw a doctor about it. And I've been having these sleep problems for like, I mean, as long as I could, I could ever remember. I mean, to be honest with you guys, I typically get four to five hours of sleep a night and I thought it was normal. And the doctor told me it wasn't. And she thinks that it's anxiety from thinking too much about what's going on in the morning. Now, has meditation helped my sleep? Yes. I've tried melatonin. I've also tried some other sleep aids. And to be honest with you guys, they give me such vivid dreams that I'm like in fear the complete next day. But I tell you this because I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning and I was bored. I was wired, energized, and I decided to learn Photoshop. It's amazing what YouTube can teach you in a matter of four to five minutes. I mean, I literally watched, uh, I want to say four or five videos. Each of them were about uh, anywhere between three to five minutes. And I was able to actually be able to Photoshop myself onto some pretty crazy things like the Space Needle and stuff of that sort. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, shoot, what else we got? We got sports are back. I mean, just just yesterday morning, Tuesday morning, the MLB suspended the Marlins and I believe it was one other team's games all the way through this upcoming Sunday because of COVID. And it just makes me think like, what are some of these leaders doing during this time period? They're, Dr. Fauci, now you want to believe him or you don't want to believe him, but he said that the best route to be to go for playing sports throughout COVID would be a bubble. You look at basketball, no confirmed coronavirus cases. Now you have guys leaving uh, the bubble like Lou Williams to go get some wings, you know, at a strip club in Atlanta, whatever it may be, but those guys are staying safe. I, I have to guess that football is going to do something similar of that. And I think baseball is going to have to pivot, but you know what? They'll just have to figure that one out. Which actually leads me into my next thought about just this whole entire bubble in sports. And we have a lot cooking here at the Millennial Way, y'all. And I'm actually on these live shows. Now, there's a an app. It's called the Locker Room app. And it's really, really cool. They're in beta right now, so it's invite only to get on it. But I would encourage you guys to check out their app on Twitter, at Locker Room app. And it's sweet. It's like a live show or it's like a live podcasting platform where all these beat writers from different sports um, entities come out and they come talk about what's going on within sports. I have my own show right now that's called the COVID Chronicles and I'm talking about 
business updates through COVID, who's winning, who's not winning, who's doing well, why are they doing well, who's not doing well, and why they're not doing well. Um, I mean, I could tell you guys innovation, but um, it's a lot of fun, and I think you guys should go check it out. So go on to Twitter, go at lock, type in at Locker Room app, and go check it out. It's honestly one of my new favorite apps that's out there. Again, it's in beta, so they're working out the kinks within the app, but guys, it is so damn cool. I mean, I'm literally on the app like 24-7. Whenever somebody comes on and is talking about betting in sports or basketball or, you know, coin trading or anything of that sort, I mean, you could even start your own room if you're interested in, shoot, wine or whiskey or something like that. You could hop in, open up your own room, create a live a live show and start talking about it and people will tune in and it's just, it's a lot of fun. But anyways, enough of me ranting for today. Let's get into this. Thank you so much for joining me today, guys. I have Charles Wallace, I have Spencer Whitaker, and I have Benny Silvestri. All three of these are my guys, former athletes, and all are still very involved in athletics today. And we're going to start off in the first question that I have for you guys. And Benny, we'll start with you. Right now, we see the NBA is back. The NFL is coming back. Training camp starts next week. MLB is back. NHL is coming back, too. We have sports, guys. Like, I'm, I'm pumped about sports coming back. And the first thing that I see in the, in the NBA is that they put Black Lives Matter on the court and they're actually allowing guys to put some type of message on the back of their jerseys. And my question for you guys is what is your reaction and how do you guys do you guys think that this is something that's actually helping progress change? Or do you see it as more of like a I don't want to call it a PR play, but more of just kind of like a, a yeah, we'll call it like a cover up. And Vinny, we'll, we'll start with you on this one. I personally love it. And I think. The athletic stage, especially at that high level, like the NBA and the MLB and even the WNBA doing it, I think it drives the conversation and keeps the conversation going. Um, all eyes and all optics right now are currently on those sports because that's the one thing that's coming back into play, uh, especially with COVID and the state we're in right now. So I do believe having that and like I loved what the NBA did with the, um, you know, they can put whatever they want on the back of their jerseys. I think that's awesome. I think anything to keep the conversation going right now and keep that in the spotlight and at the forefront um, will definitely be very beneficial moving forward for the cause and for the movement. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. Spence, what are, what are your thoughts on this? Well, first and foremost, I think I speak for all of us when I say, thankfully sports are back because uh, a lot of us have been looking for our outlets, uh, something to take our mind off the craziness with the virus and um, just the craziness in the country right now. My first reaction, uh, honestly, Chase, comes from watching the MLB last night, to be honest with you, because as we know, majority of MLB owners are old white money. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing the or, seeing the, M- the MLB as a whole, um, you know, from the, from the Black Lives Matter on the back of the mound to every single opening day, they started with a 200-yard long uh, black banner and each player was holding them. Um, I mean, there's been countless players already taking a knee, and I think – This goes to show when you see a league like the MLB who is resistant to change, this is a league that won't change the number of their games because of their history. Seeing a league like that make a change is big for keeping the conversation going. And I think that is the key right now as we start seeing some normalcy return, keeping the conversation going because, you know, the posts on social media are slowing down and the conversation has changed a little bit, which is positive because I think now we're getting beyond the outrage and we're starting to ask ourselves, what are the next steps? And you're starting to see 
someone like the MLB say, okay, this is what we can do to make a next step. Um, and, and to touch on the NBA players, you know, putting whatever they want on the back of the jerseys. I think it's, a, I think it's a smart move. Um, I think if I'm being optimistic, um, I think it allows each player to express their opinion. They're not being forced to do anything. Had they been saying, this is what we're going to put on the back of your jerseys. Then I feel like it feels a little bit more like a PR play, but allowing them to choose what they want and allowing them to do it or not to do it. And I think LeBron James came out and said, I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to do this instead to make yeah. a change. And I think those are positive. I love that. I love that. Charles, what are, what are your thoughts on this? I think it shows kind of what the reason that we're all here to show the emphasis that sports has on the community and on like the larger societal unity. And you see these teams, these leagues come together, even the, 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 the WNBA come together like as a as a league to support uh, the causes that they support. And then you look at like the MLL and the different lacrosse leagues and all the smaller leagues, they're coming together as well. And so you you get to see how different sports are open to change and are open to at least starting the conversation amongst themselves and amongst them amongst their fans, which is something that hasn't been like around recently or has been something that's kind of been cast aside. I think it's beneficial that people are like opening the door for conversation now. Absolutely. And one thing that I am absolutely loving about the NBA right now is just that when these guys are getting any type of airtime, they're literally picking one thing to talk about. Right. And it's not about basketball. It's really not about the games or anything of that sort. It's like LeBron James on the on the in, on his interview last night there. They're asking him about the game and how he's feeling getting back in the in the flow and how the team was feeling. And he was like, well, I want the officers arrested for the death of Breonna Taylor. Right. And they just right. kept asking him more questions. And he kept going back to Brianna Taylor and kept going back to it. And it's like he's using his platform for good. And that was, you know, being an optimist. That was kind of my hope going into this was like, I really hope these guys continue to use their platform for the conversation. This is the only time where you get millions of Americans to tune in live. Right. Like during quarantine. Tory Lanez broke the record for most people on Instagram Live, and it was like 300 and something thousand. But when you think about an athlete's platform and the amount of people that tune into a game, especially during this time when we've been without sports for the last four months, right? Everybody's tuning in. You got millions of people watching, and you have LeBron James standing up and saying one thing, and you're like, oh, wow, that's cool. But I'm going to switch a little bit up um, and let's talk about team dynamics, right? So we've all been former athletes. We've all played with many different men of different colors, different races, different backgrounds, different sexualities, right? Like, and the one thing that I'm really curious to hear from you guys is how do you guys believe that a team, right? I, I think from a corporation corporation standpoint, from, a, from an athletic standpoint, we always talk about teams just in general. How do you guys think that we're able to kind of put down that, that bias of whatever it may be, right? Whether it's race, whether it's background, whether it's how much money your parents make to truly come together to be a successful team to help us win. And Charles, we'll start off with you on this one. All right. Um, I think it starts off as like self-preservation. Like nobody wants to be the worst player on the team. And so like you're working hard and then as you're working hard, you see the guy next to you working hard. It really doesn't matter what that guy looks like because you guys are trying to win games. You guys are trying to earn a spot on the team. You guys want to make plays. And so, you're like, hey, he's working for the same reason that I'm working. Let's work together. And so I don't think you you realize like, oh, that's a white guy. Oh, that's a black guy. Until like, 
maybe later on you have these conversations, but it starts off like, because nobody wants to even hang out with the guy on the team that's like not that good. So you're like, I want to be good. I want to be like, I want to be the best that I can be. And then, so I think it just goes on. You see people that are doing well too, and it just links you guys together. And I think it starts off on that bond of just that bond of hard work. Like you guys go through a lot. You go through a lot playing football. And I think that's what starts the the brotherhood and the bond. I think then the conversation can grow. Okay. Okay. Spence, what are your thoughts on, on how teams are able to kind of put down those biases and, truly just come together as, I mean, we call it brotherhood, right? And I'm sure within women's sports, they call it a sisterhood as well. So, um, I mean, you've, you've heard of it before, the, the power of the locker room, the power of the locker room. That's where, that's where bonds are formed. It's where friendships are made. And it's, it's not about, you know, the color of your skin. It's about what do you bring to this team? How are you helping us get better every day? Are you motivating me? Um, I, I keep going back to a story when I, and, and, and this conversation is something that, you know, I've had in the last couple months because as a white guy, as a white guy, I've tried to take it upon myself to learn more. What 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 do I what do I not know? And, and these are real conversations that I've had. And I go back to the story of I must be sixth sixth grade at this time. And I was obviously a part of a football team. And every single weekend I had six friends come and stay the night at my house. And it, and it's a product of how you're raised too, right. My parents put me in sports and my parents allow me to have everyone come back, you know, and hang out with me at the end of the night. And for the most part, my friends were not of the same color as me, but we shared the same passions. We shared the same interests, and we all wanted to be winners and we all were friends. And, and, and that's a dynamic that's bred in the locker room. And if you haven't been exposed to sports, it's something that could contribute to, you know, uh, someone not understanding that dynamic that that's that's made in the locker rooms where again it doesn't matter what color you are it's what are you bringing to the student even if you are you know a player who's not the best athletically are you are you a glue guy are you someone that's going to come in here and help help the vibe of the team are you going to help this team win um and and, it, and it's something that I'm, I'm thankful for for my parents putting me in sports because my parents are, are from up north so you know, sports are big and I started off playing hockey and quickly transitioned to football. And uh, I'm just so thankful that I was exposed to, to caring more about what does a guy bring to the table as opposed to what does this guy look like? Yeah. Exposure, I think is, is very key, right? Being exposed to people. And one thing I think you both have said real quickly is just the fact that like, it kind of starts in the locker room and it also starts maybe in like the weight room and on the field where it's like you, you go out there and you see people working hard and you're like, I don't care what the hell he looks like. I need to be better than him. Right. Or I, I need to be just as good as him in order to get that spot or in order to be out on the field and do what I love, which is playing a game, playing this sport. But when you take it a step further from that, like you spend so much time with each other that you kind of have to break those barriers down because you guys are friends at the end of the day. Like if I'm spending freaking 15 hours a day with you, I better become your friend. So Vinny, we'll transition to you. What are your, what are your thoughts on this? I think it's definitely sports in general, especially football is a microcosm of society. Um, and I think like Charles and Spencer both said with the locker room um, definitely plays a huge role for me. It's, it's that culture and that bond that a team truly has together that does not allow and doesn't give room for for racism, for somebody being prejudiced, for anything that, like that going on. There's no legs. Um, the locker room kind of suffocates that out. And if you have a team, and I think we all have been a part of a good team like that, at least with the players, where the culture is so strong and the brotherhood so strong 
that you either have to conform to the brotherhood and the trust and the loyalty that's built upon that, or you'll be weeded out. Um, and I think that's one thing that's huge. And I think you don't have, and you don't let those conversations fester that are negative. Um, and they could tear down a person, a team, a race, a gender. Um, and you kind of cut that off before it has room to grow. Um, I definitely think trust is important. Everyone has a role on a team. And just because we're talking about football and we've all played football, you have 11 guys on the field at once. And it doesn't matter what color, what, you know, how tall, how big you are. Everyone has a specific role. And if our, all 11 guys aren't doing that and accomplishing their role um, at the best of their ability, then you're not going to accomplish and succeed in whatever you set out to do. Um, I think sometimes it's overlooked in society and it's overlooked uh, in the greater uh, world, the current state we live in. But I definitely think that just the brotherhood, like you mentioned earlier, and having that bond and trust and loyalty with each other and suffocating out anything that um, tries to take that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I agree with all three of you guys. And one thing that I kind of want to say is just I also think it starts kind of like from a leadership perspective, too. Right. When you see that your coach truly loves every single guy on the team from one to ninety six or one to twelve, however big the team is. But he loves the superstar just as much as he loves that that last bench guy who's busting his butt every day in practice. That's when you kind of show what that's when it shows the team culture is truly like a team and a family. Right. And I think we've all been a part of bad teams too, right? We've been a part of teams that have been very successful, but we've also been a, a, a part of teams that have not been successful. And the one thing that I would say about the teams that have been unsuccessful, at least that I've been a part of, is that every single one of those teams have been clicky. They've had their own little clicks within, within them, and each click actually doesn't get along with the other clicks. And when you go out onto the field and you're there on a Saturday afternoon and the game is coming down to the wire and it's 14-13 and the defense needs to make a stop just to get the offense the ball back so that way they could drive down the field, get a field goal to win the game, and the defense doesn't get a stop, and now we're down eight instead of being down one, the offense turns and looks at the defense and goes, what the hell? This happens every time. What are you guys doing? And the defense is like, well, if you guys would score more points, then maybe we wouldn't have to worry about giving up 21 or 22, right? And then everybody is so broken up that at that point in time, you have no chance to win the game because people, you have more internal problems going on than you have external problems, right? Like it's no longer about winning the game. It's now about whose fault it is. And I think that's one thing that we've seen in society as a whole is that we live in a bipartisan country, right? We have right a lot of us, and I say a lot of us, majority millennials Quote Harvard Business Review, 87% of millennials are independents, right? So that shows that we are not on one or either side. And I think that a lot of us, you know, call us the younger generation, millennials, whatever you want to call us, have found a middle ground, kind of like a family and like a team to say, we need to put, put aside all of our differences to truly come together as a team. And that's what kind of makes me optimistic about just the future in general. And I think athletics as a platform, like you were saying earlier, Charles, like it's a and you as well, Vinny, it sports leads the culture within our country. And because of that, we need to continue being the leaders at the forefront. So I'm going to go on to my next question, which is. Okay. So uh, some teams are 
the majority of one color, whether I'll be white or black and thinking from a middle school, high school, college, all the way up to the, I wouldn't say necessarily maybe on the NFL level, but you definitely see college, high school and middle schools where they are majority one color. And my question is that how can we help our athletes understand kind of what is going on in the world and what can we do to encourage them to speak up? And Vinny, since you're a coach, we're going to start with you on this one because I think it's really important for us to be able to help athletes understand how to use their platform and how they can continue to use it to amplify the message of what's going on today. 100%. And I think, and I'll, and I'll start by saying too, I know on our 2018 uh, state championship run, seeing how a high school football team brought an entire city to a halt and brought a community together. Um, if anyone ever questions the power of athletics and the power of football, the way you start and the way you keep a conversation going locally um, in your circle, I truly believe is through athletics. And just because it has the biggest pull, especially in the South, is, is football. Um, so I think you definitely have to have um, the conversation with your players and your athletes. You can't shy away from bringing up tough topics. Uh, I think you have to bring up those tough talking points. I think you bring in uh, outside speakers. If you are a majority of one color, you bring in outside speakers to shed light and bring conversation to what's currently going on and uh, what the current state of the world looks like. And I truly believe too, the only way, not the only way, but one of the ways to get to the older generation and to the parents is through their kids. That's why I love to see, especially locally, seeing an Alpharetta and Roswell and the protests going on um, continuously. Even now, there's still kids out there. And it's the younger generation. It's the Gen Z. It's the millennials. And I think their parents can sometimes shy away from, from the media and even some of the professional athletes. But when their kids are involved with it, if they, if they start seeing – I know me personally, um, coaching running backs at Milton, out of the, the three running backs I have – Two of them are black athletes, and I'm making a point this year and talking to them. For the national anthem, we are all making sure that we are in unison. If they want to take a knee, I will take a knee with them. And that's something that I think, and I talked about it with them and some other coaches that I trust. Um, I think that's a way to show to show and definitely bring conversation to those parents of that community. Um, I think there's so many ways you can go about it, and I think just – kind of letting it go and bypassing those conversations is, is a detriment um, not only to the movement but to the kids and the parents the community themselves and for equality um, I think there's a ton that you can do and I think for us you can't look at it as oh this is too big to impact if you look at it at the local level and your main initiative is to raise the floor that's the only thing we can do is raise the minimum raise the floor and, and change paradigms the best you can um, and start changing people's thought processes and at least get them thinking. If you can get them thinking and then we can continue that conversation, I think you'll be able to flip them and then definitely trickle down to the younger generation as well. That's, you make a great point is that the way to get to the older generation is through their kids. And I honestly, Vinny, have never even thought of that. And it's, it's true. I think even my younger brother being 21, he's changed the mindset of my parents a little bit because he's been living home since March He's been going to these protests. He's been making my mom go with him. He's been, you know, and, and my parents are both of color as well, but like they have always been the type to, I wouldn't say shy away from the conversation, but they're like, I got so much going on that like, I can't necessarily have this conversation right now. Right. And it's like, well, you don't really have any time to other time besides right now. And we have to have that combo right now. And my, 
even like within my own family, my brother's been able to bring that bring that forefront. So I could only imagine how it's continued to help. And I'm sure there's a lot of parents that argue with their parent or that argue with their kids about these this situation that's going on right now. And the one thing that I see on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter is that these kids are arguing with their parents and they're like, no, mom, you're wrong. No, dad, you're wrong. And it's while it may not be easy right now, it will get easier as time goes on because then they will, we will start being able to flip their mindset to understanding that this is not political. This is about humanity. And we're talking about people's lives. We're not talking about left, right, or who the president is or whatever it may be. Charles, I want to I want to flip over to you on this one because I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on especially being a division one college athlete that played on uh, at Stetson and at Delaware State. Like, what do you think we could do to help our other athletes understand really how to continue to use their platform to elevate this? So from <clears throat> so from my experience, uh, my senior year, our offensive line room was like a crazy diverse offensive line. Room. We had white guys, black guys, Canadian, poly, Jewish, like a whole bunch of different guys. And we always hung out away from football. So as we hung out, we got to talk about the different things that were going on in each other's lives, the situations people were going through back home. And you start to break down the different stereotypes and different thought processes that you have against people and you get to see people for who they are. It's like them as an individual and you learn about people's culture and you take that and you share that with the people that you know, you share that with the people around you. And so it, it you, it's like, it's like an investment. You invest into the, you mostly invest into the people around you. And so as you do that and become brothers, you protect that investment. You try to, you try to share what other people struggles because they're they're your brothers too. So you try to share what they're going through. And like Coach said, you start at the at the local level. I think that's the most important part because those are the people that you interact with every day. Those are the people that you see. And those are the people that will have the most immediate effective change in your life. So you just have those conversations and you just you just talk about it because some people are some people are ignorant to the plights of other people. And it's not their fault. It's just exposure. And so as you get to talk with people and you, you break down those stereotypes, that's the that's the key. Just starting those conversations and encouraging those conversations amongst teams and amongst players and amongst position groups or whatever the case may be. Just start those conversations. And and once you start those conversations, that'll go a long way. Yeah. And one thing you brought up that it kind of it brings an example to my mind. And I don't know if you guys remember remember this, but I think it was like 2016, 2017. But the LSU players, when they came out of the locker room, they actually started doing the haka, which is a Samoan um, warrior dance. And one of our teammates, Blake Platzmeyer, actually, when he went to San Mateo, uh, the College of San Mateo, a couple of his uh, teammates were Samoan. And they taught their entire team the, the haka. And it's a sense of pride for them because it shows – it's a dance that they do before uh, their warriors would go into war. And, you know, looking at the the game of football, a lot of us think of it as war, right? Especially when we're getting ready to prepare for battle right before the game. And people from the outside would see these players doing it and they'd be like, oh, that's such a cool little like Indian dance, not knowing exactly what it was. And then I remember a post going viral on Twitter from the guy. And I, I don't remember his name. So you guys got to you know, forgive me for that one. But he was like, guys, like, this isn't just an Indian warrior dance. Like, this is like a dance that comes from my country that warriors do as they're preparing for battle. And my brothers have embodied my culture 
and embodied who I am because I used to do that by myself. And now they're all doing it with me because they think that it's not that they think they're embodying my culture as we prepare to go to battle together. Right. And it became a sense of pride for that entire team. Now that team never won a national championship. That team didn't win an SEC championship. But my point being was that it was able to bring a bond together for guys and guys were able to go, I'm not from Samoa, but shoot, I'm going to learn how to do this haka dance, right? Because that is my brother. I am going into battle with him. And it's not its not a sense of like me and my pride and my ego of, of doing what my culture does, but it's a sense of pride for him. And because he cares about it and he's doing it, I care about him and I'm going to go do that, right? Spence, I want to transition over to you and uh, hear your thoughts on this. Well, I think Vinny brought up a good point when he said, you know, this starts up with the children. This starts up with the kids. And I think one thing that, uh, you know, I'm pretty proud to say is that our generation and even, you know, you know, Generation Z beyond the millennials, they're willing to have these conversations and they're willing to learn what they don't know already. Um, and I think when you when you come together through sports and it's like I was telling you guys before we started the call here today, organically on the way home from golf now, uh, me and two of my buddies are having the conversation about social justice in the car and it comes up organically. It's taking an interest in the people that you guys know in common, it's taking an interest in, you know, um, people that you guys have, have met together. And I think it goes to show that just having the conversation can go a long way, but it's a good starting point. Right. And, and, and where do we start from that? We're not going to change the entire country overnight, but we could start it in the communities and we could start it in your friend groups. You could start it in, you know, just having a conversation with your buddy and taking the time to learn more about the things that you don't know. And that's been so key for me in the last several months is I is realizing I may not know everything I, I, I think I do when it comes to this topic. Um, you know, I may think that, you know, well, I'm not a racist, but am I, am I being, am I being anti-racist? Am I doing the things and learning the things that I don't know so that I can impact the people that I've met and impact the people I've met through sports? Because I think I speak, you know, for all of us here, you know, we all have sports in common. We all came here because we, we knew Chase and uh, we played sports together at some degree. Um, and, and, and realizing that it begins there and it starts as a brotherhood but it turns into taking an interest in the people that you love and the people that you've gone to war with. And I think that is my big takeaway from sports is that it's brought me around people that I would never have had the opportunity to spend time with coming to Stetson. We played with people from all around the country, northerners, people from California, um, you know, people from all, all everywhere, all walks of life are coming together and bringing different experiences in. Um, and, and you get to take time to, to spend you know, quality moments and have these conversations with, with the people that are now your friends. And you wonder, well, what struggles do you face on a daily basis that I don't see? And I've gotten a chance to see and learn about those different struggles that other people who are not like me will face. Um, and I think that is a huge part in my, in my mind going forward is, okay, this is what my life is like, you know, but what about my friends? What do they experience? And, and, and it begins in the locker room. And I think the next step is, what do we do after just having these conversations? Are we talking about action items in our conversations? Are we talking about, you know, what we could do going forward? And I can speak for myself that when the rally started, I went to a small one here in Deland and it, and it came about from two teammates that are not the same color of me asking me to go with them. And I obviously was glad to go and, and it was extremely powerful. It was, it was a small gathering given the size of the town, but it was powerful to see. Uh, especially in a city like here in Deland where something may be to change because it's a small town and it's a small town of living. 
of an area like this is willing to put together an extremely peaceful protest. And I think it, it, it and it, it really spoke volumes about the people that I'm spending time with and, and comes together. Where did I meet those people? I met them through sport. Absolutely. And, and Vinny, I, I don't know if you're, I think you were at Milton when uh, coach Bennett was there, but I'm going to bring up a quote that he used to say to me all the time is, you know, I, I grew up a basketball guy. I wasn't really a football player. Um, started playing football in middle school just because I was athletic. And then when I got to high school is when it became serious. And I was like, Oh, I could actually possibly have a future in this. And I remember getting ready for my first start ever my sophomore year and coach Bennett coming up to me and he was like, how you feeling? And I was like, coach, I've never been this nervous before in my life. I want to throw up. I am so scared. These guys are 20 times bigger than me. Like the receiver that I'm guarding is six, four. He runs faster than me. I don't know if I'm going to be able to guard him. And he goes, well, if you ain't nervous, then that means you ain't going to compete. He was like, because nerves bring out the best in you. And one thing that I've always tried to do is bring the lessons that I've learned through athletics and, and kind of tie them through in my life. And I bring that up because these uncomfortable conversations are uncomfortable, right? Like you're sitting in a chair, you have no ego, you have no pride, and you're sitting there and you're just like, damn, I didn't know that. Damn, I didn't know that. Damn, wow, that sucks, right? But my point being is that right before these conversations typically happen, there's a feeling of angst and nervousness that comes in through your stomach. And all of a sudden you have those butterflies and you're like, oh, it'd just be a lot easier if I just didn't say anything. And I kind of maybe made up an excuse, went home, drank a beer and just chilled or instead just started playing some video games. Or instead of asking this question, I could do a million other things. But it's taking that nervousness and then understanding that you're only going to get better and grow from this. And because of that, you're going to become a much better person. You're going to become a more well-rounded human being. And you're also going to become a part of the solution rather than being a part of the problem, right? And Charles, I have a, a last question for you. And I, I do want to get yours, uh, your opinion on this, both Spence and Vinny, is Charles, you played at HBCU after you left Stetson. And I know you just said that your offensive line room was very diverse in terms of you guys had Jewish and white and black and Polynesian and like people from all over the world, but the school is majority black. Right. And that means that your coaches not only had to deal with the, the dynamics of your team, but the dynamics of the school. And my question for you is what was that experience like compared to a school like Stetson where it's majority white? And then what would your advice be for coaches who have maybe never been in a situation like that and could maybe you could say, be a little bit better in terms of just like bringing racial equality um, kind of into play in terms of things like that sort. Um, so just the difference, it like at Stetson, like you had your team and you majority, you like you pretty much only hung out with like guys on the team, maybe like a few frat guys, but like majority guys on the team, or at least for me. And so at Delaware State, it was more like people, it was more people that look like me. So it was like, I wasn't like, it, you go from like being like the only black guy in your class to being like one of like three, four, it's like, a, it's way more people. And then especially like in like your, like your general ed classes, and you're like, it's everybody in there is black. So it's like, if you feel more like more comfortable, more at home and our coach, like our coach, like our coaching staff, it was like the complete opposite. Of that like our head coach was black and like we had like maybe had like one or two position coaches that were white. And they were like, <clears throat> they encouraged us to be ourselves, like be ourselves, but like still make sure that we were a part of the team. But it was most of the time 
it was never like an issue of like expressing yourself personally. And that was like, that was good. Like on campus, you just got to be yourself. And like, you didn't have to like act a certain way at a certain time. You just got to be you. And I feel like that's very important. And just like giving your players a space to be you. So my, I have like two part advice for coaches. So the first one would be to like, if you're coaching like black players or players that are like different from you, try to like really immerse yourself in their culture, like learn about them, learn about the struggles that they're going through. But also like when it comes to like recruiting, like maybe steer them toward like HBCUs or like try to focus on like, like maybe schools that maybe you may not know about, but that would be good for them because like a lot of kids I've seen get like lost in the, in like the cracks because they may be good enough to go D1, but they may not have that exposure, but like they would do well at an HBCU and uh, like at a D2 or D3. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's like they could have a, a chance that they could really, really thrive at an HBCU or at a, at a school like that, that maybe like a coach isn't familiar with. So just like being able to expose your players to, to like schools and things that you maybe not know about, but it would definitely be more beneficial to your players for sure. And then another, then the other part is just um, a lot of times just, just, I don't know, just like respecting the players, like, cause the players are going to respect you already because you're the coach and it's already like that dynamic. But like people are are different. People are raised differently. And sometimes we see with like coaches, like some coaches like try to be like that militant, that that father figure. But some players just need a mentor. Some players just need somebody to, you know, just talk to them and like guide them on the right path more than like bark at them. But that's that's a whole personality. That's a whole generational thing. But I think it goes into I think it goes hand in hand and just like getting to know your players and, and, and I know in like college, especially your job is dependent on these players, but seeing them as more as capital as not as capital, but like as people and like really getting to know the human side of your players, because I feel like that'll drive the players to play better. Like when I was in high school, we always used to say, love your brother. That's how we used to break down at the end of practice. Love your brother, love your brother. And the bonds that formed from that, it became more than something you just say. You began to love and respect your brothers. And it's just it's just a different feeling. It's a different vibe. It's just a different feeling to the culture. It's more, and that's something that can spread outward to the school and to like the greater community. Because football players are the leaders on campus, whether people like to say it or not. And so to see unity and that love spread from that locker room outward, I feel like encouraging that as a coach with is is something that's that could be achievable absolutely and i think what what you said about players being able to express themselves and truly be themselves is really interesting too because you know being at stetson and and also going to milton high school like you are kind of put in this box right and it's because you have to talk to the media your representation of the school and and you like you said you're a leader on campus so people look to you and they look to what you say and how you're feeling and things of that sort so i find that really interesting charles and i think uh, I really appreciate you just being able to articulate th- that to us. So I, thank you. Spence, what are your thoughts on just like HBCUs based on just what yeah. Charles said? Like, just curious to hear your response to that. Well, I, I do have a unique background, too, because I do uh, I do go to FAMU Law. So it is an oh, HBCU. Sorry. I've... And 
didn't no, mean no, to negate fine. that. Well, it, no, and, and you're not wrong in, in, in thinking, you know, thinking anything otherwise, because it is a little different. It's a law school um, and I'm an evening student, so I don't get to experience the entire HBCU dynamic to it. But my takeaway is that there are brilliant people at that school. There are brilliant people at that school. And these people are more alike, more alike me than they are different. And, and, and truly, that's my takeaway. We are all there pursuing the same degree. These are people with different walks of life. And these are people that come from different backgrounds and that look different than me. But these are all brilliant people. These are all brilliant people that I study with on a daily basis. These are people that I've learned a lot from. And, and, and the unique perspective that I have, especially now, is I'm at an HBCU law school during a, a, a crazy time legally uh, beyond, you know, beyond beyond what we've already spoken about today. We've been able to, to dive into some of these different, um, you know, um, so some of these different aspects legally that have gone into, um, you know, the, the recent the recent happenings in this country. Um, and it gives me a unique perspective because I've been able to hear emotion from these people and, and truly looking for answers of how they can make a difference as a black attorney, uh, as a, a Spanish attorney that's at this law school. And it's really provided me with um I want to to learn more about the things I don't know, and I and I've come back to that on every question you have. But it's 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 something that I haven't stopped since since you know uh, you know the posts on social media have slowed down. It's something that I'm continuing to try to do, and it's a goal of mine going forward to continue to ask questions if I don't know something. Because even though I may have an impact in just my community and just my friend group from now, I'm going to grow up and raise children one day that are going to hopefully take on the same ideals that I have that I've taken from my parents. And that's a change that you could bring is, is to raise your people and to raise your friends and your children to seeing, to see, to see people as being different. Yes, we are different, but at the end of the day, like I said, in law school, these are brilliant people and, and these people are more alike to me than they are different. So. Absolutely. And Vinny, Vinny, we'll get to you in just one second, but Spence, you brought something up that is very, intriguing to me which is the fact that you are at an hbcu in the in the law school right and, but you're sitting in a in the law school with many different peoples of all of all different walks like you were just saying how have the responses in your classes been since the george floyd event happened right like i'm actually really curious to hear that from you yeah. because I, I think i could i could imagine what it looks like but not being there i'm, I'm very curious right. to hear I, I would say the, the, the one word that comes to mind when you're asking that question is, is outrage is, is people are, people are frustrated and, and, and I'm in a unique spot right now because I'm taking a, a criminal pretrial procedure class where we talk about an indictment and information, what goes into bringing the, the murderers of George Floyd to trial and what goes into that and what has to be obtained in order to do so. Um, so there's been a lot of, of, of asking questions about, this just doesn't make sense to me. Explain to me why it took so long for this to happen. Um, and, and I think that's really kind of the resounding vibe is outrage, but at the same time is, is intrigue and, and, and trying to understand why it's being handled the way it is. Um, because this is a legal matter that we're dealing with. Um, and, and I hear people and I, and I read things about Brianna Taylor and people are saying, well, you can't arrest her. Or you, you can't arrest the murderers because, you know, her husband had a gun. And, 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 it, it, and it makes me want to educate people because you can arrest, you can arrest them. And, and that allows you to gather the evidence and weigh these different things. It's not about, 
well, is this person going to go to jail for 20 years or not? You can still make the arrest and you could still do what everyone is asking for and find more information and take this thing to trial because just because you're in trial doesn't mean you're guilty, but it also doesn't mean you're not guilty. We are going to now weigh the evidence and we're going to see where does this stack up against the precedents of the past. So when I'm reading these things and I'm seeing these people who just don't understand, again, it comes to my mind again, we need to educate people. And as someone who is at an HBCU and, uh, and obtaining a law degree, it makes me feel like I want to do something and I want to come out here and, 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 and educate people who don't get the difference between an arrest and an indictment or an arrest and a conviction. Because these are things, these are words that are, you know, if you don't have the background, you don't know the difference between the two. And, and I see these things and I just feel hopeless because I'm like, you just don't get it. You can bring these people to trial and you can arrest them. So when I see people trying to articulate these different facts as to why you're not able to arrest the cops, it's frustrating to me. And and that's really, I think, the the echoing sentiment that I've had is frustration from the black student body at FAMU, but also an intrigue and a want to make a change. And I think it's like I brought up earlier, it's it's. It's awesome to see that there are brilliant black people coming out of this school that will be attorneys and that will make a change. Absolutely. Thanks for walking us through that. I wasn't expecting to ask you that, but when you brought that up, I was like, I got to I got to bring it up. Uh, Vinny, you know, being at Milton, it's a very different dynamic than an HBCU just because the the sheer fact of the fans. Right. The fans at Milton very much one-sided um and i would just say just because the community that you know i grew up in that you live in right now which is not a bad thing in any way shape or form but after hearing what charles said like do you have any any thoughts or a quick response to that i didn't mean just a response to it yeah no i i also say too if charles ever wants to get into coaching uh we definitely have a spot at milton for him Uh, (laughs) that, that that is seriously too i know in transitioning from coaches in the in the past to our current head coach and i give him a ton of credit uh coach adam clack who's our current head coach has been there for three years now going on his fourth um the stuff that charles touched on is what he wanted to instill in our team and i think the biggest component to that and, and charles hit on it was letting athletes have their own personality i think there's a misconception especially with the older coaches that you have a culture and you have a goal and everyone has to fit that and that entails and brings in their personality, and that's not necessarily the case, and it shouldn't be at all. Uh, you can still have the culture you want. You can still have your common goal while allowing players to be themselves. And honestly, and seeing it firsthand, it accelerates your culture. Letting the players have their own personality and then buy in, it accelerates your culture, and you're able to achieve those uh, common goals at a quicker pace. I think going into coaching, too, the non-negotiable coaching traits that I think you need to look for are authenticity, self-awareness and empathy i think those are the three biggest ones i think too many times um i think you you guys can speak to it too because you're all college athletes i think especially at the college level seeing it in recruiters when they come in and recruit our players um i think sometimes they try to overcompensate and and mirror personalities to recruit instead of being genuine in their actions if they're genuine and they're authentic and then charles point they're authentic in who they are they let you be authentic in your personality but then they're willing to learn about your experiences i think that brings so much more to the table and i think you were able to achieve a, a stronger bond and a greater relationship in a quicker amount of time um and i think i would rather have a coaching staff that has a higher collective eq emotional intelligence rather than a higher schematical knowledge based staff i think people who are self-aware and are authentic 
and have that empathy and to build those relationships with the players and letting them show and, and be their true selves. Um, I think you can definitely achieve whatever goal you set out, whether it's wins or whether it's a culture, or whether, you know, becoming better men and women. Um, I think that can definitely accelerate that. And also, I, I know Spencer uh, brought this up a little earlier, but the younger generation, and I've seen this in the last four or five years um, with the kids transitioning and, and coaching, this younger generation wants to know why. That's the big, like, they want to know why for everything. And I, initially, you have some older coaches and you have other coaches that are, it's, I said what I said, you're going to do it my way. No, they make us better coaches. I've learned so much from my players because they make you, it, it's, it could be a simple little drill that you do and they want to know why, why are we doing this? And you've got to have a plan. You've got to be able to, and now ahead, ahead of it, I know Coach game literally lays out, tweets the knob on aggressive, you know, whether it be aggressive in the coach teams, conservative on defense, being aggressive in the red zone, what have you, taking shots. He let, lets them know our exact game plan. Um, we're going to be onside kick. We're going to go for it and forward down. Defense, be ready to get the ball um, in the, the, the offense, get the ball in the red zone. you got to play 20 in because we're going for it and down our own 20. Um, and let them know why. And the players get excited for it. So when it happens yeah. and pride ourselves on sudden change, defense is out there running out there like hey we own the red zone like this is our this is our time like you said before sometimes you have that disconnect where the offense might not uh convert on fourth down or the you know defense lets up a touchdown and instead of having people drop their heads they're like let's go this is fun this will you know this is why we play and that brotherhood um but i think uh spencer's point it, the younger generation is driving that conversation because they want to know why and it's forcing the parents to really think and really reflect and hopefully that drives action that can help the movement, um, can help coaches become better coaches. And, and through that just make society a better place to live. Yeah. I, I love that Vinny. And one thing that I think we were always preached to from some of our coaches was the best will play. Right. But that was the most transparency that we got from all of our coaches. So I knew if I looked at the depth chart that if the guy was, a, if there was a guy in front of me, it was because he was playing better than me. Right. And all I knew was that I needed to work my ass off to get up there. But when you take it a step further, I didn't know, like we knew our game plans and in college, you, you definitely know the game plan, but you still don't know how coaches are going to pivot throughout the game. Right. Hey, if we're down 14, nothing. And all of a sudden, like it starts going third and long, we're blitzing every time, every time, because we need to cause turnovers. We need to get the ball back. Right. Like, and I feel like if there would have been that level of transparency for most athletes, then you start being okay with the fluidity of a game and you stop thinking so rigid where it's like, Oh, they're going to go drive down. They're going to score every time they get, the, uh, we get the ball. We're going to go down three and out every time. Right. That's just not the, the reality of the game right now. So go ahead, Vinny. Um, speaking on that too, and being transparent, we switched the last three years when coach Clyde got here to player. Um, I would, you can call it evaluations, but we do it in the beginning of the summer beginning of the season, mid-season, at the end of the season. And it's to let the players know where they currently stand on the depth chart, why, and how they become better. And it's sound, as easy as it sounds, there's so much uh, miscommunication or the lack of communication. It's that perception that there was exchange and communication that the players sometimes don't get. And the coaches feel like they've had that conversation with the players. If you're coming out the field and you're like, hey, you're not starting this week, um, you tell the kid on a Thursday, he might not be able to take that properly or he might not even realize why and, and be frustrated, and that's how you lose players. We sit down with them, and they fill out a sheet, we fill out a sheet. So they 
we ask them where they think they are in the depth chart, and then we fill one out. And then we swap and we talk about it so they know exactly where they stand and then how to become to get to their desired goal in the depth chart. Um, I think just that level of transparency and communication uh, is, is crucial um, and, and helping the team and, and really making sure that it's sustainable. Too. Um, you see a lot of teams Absolutely. that are, are great teams one-off and have kids move in and whatnot. And then years later, they're no longer relevant because they don't have the sustainable culture and that environment and that atmosphere to keep it going. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And my, I have one last question for you guys, and this has been awesome. So I have to say thank you, you know, first and foremost, because I really value all of your guys' thoughts. And, and I think you guys are thought leaders in, in every community that you go into. So first off, thanks for joining. Um, but last question, did you, is there just some, one last thing that any of you guys want to say um, prior to, you know, ending this, uh, that you might've not gotten to say throughout the entire thing. Uh, Spence, we could start with you on this one. If there's just anything that you want to say, whether it's about this, whether it's go raise, you know, whatever it has, to, whatever it may be. Well, I will say one thing about the raise real quick, since you brought it up, um, <laughs> extremely proud moment as a fan yesterday, um, because the Rays did something that has really stirred up social media. And I don't know if you saw it, but uh, they tweeted out yesterday and they said it's opening day, which means it's a great time to arrest the uh, the murderers of Breonna Taylor is what they tweeted out. And it and it, and it popped off on, on social media. And I will say as a fan, it was an extremely proud moment for me to be a fan who pours money into a franchise uh, that realizes that there's a bigger cause out there right now besides baseball. Um, because you know, they are, and, and this comes back to what we talked about earlier, and that's using your platform. The Rays understand that they are uh, a major platform in, in the Tampa and St. Pete community. Um, aside from that, I think one of the things that, what, one of my final thoughts is that, you know, yes, this conversation can be tough, but there are ways to make this conversation easier to add, and that's understand when you're wrong and be willing to learn. Understand what you don't know and be willing to told what it is like uh and, and it's like i have alluded to several times and that's i understand that i don't come from the same background as everybody but i've the one the one thing i thought i could do to make a change was seek people out from different areas like than me and different cultures and different color skin than me and learn from them and ask questions and say hey this is what i always thought tell me what you think. or hey you know, I said I'm black, so I can't face your thoughts on that uh, and, and learning and learning where, you know, areas that I have to go and, and willing to understand that I was wrong. And it's OK to be wrong because, uh, you know, these are these are times of growth. And if we want to make a change, then we have to be willing to grow. But growth doesn't happen. You got to go through. You got to go through hard times to make serious change. Uh, and I think conversations like this are are great way to, to get yours and to get people to understand that maybe maybe the things I've got you know doesn't really fit the full picture maybe there's something that I'm missing that I can learn from somebody who's not like um and finally my biggest takeaway and this is simple and I, I may have already said it but it's not enough anymore to just not be racist it's not enough to anymore to just say hey I have black friends uh you've got to be openly and vehemently anti-racist and you have to and, and, and if you feel that way then you have to let others know why you feel that way and be willing to teach someone who may not be there yet uh, because it, it does take time and growth takes time and so does change. Um, but at the same time, the time is now. The conversations are being had uh, and this platform and, and this podcast is an awesome way to do it. I, I just appreciate you 
being willing to take me on here and hear my opinions. Oh, of course. And um, I actually just pulled up the Rays Twitter account and I absolutely love it. I'm, I'm kudos to the Rays. I'll say go Rays. Um, they even tweeted last night. They said, we have one more thing before we log off for the night. And then it says black lives matter. And it's just to your point, it proves how, how organizations and athletics can really use that platform to help amplify it. Charles, was there anything that you wanted to say today that you maybe didn't get the opportunity to? Yeah. I just wanted to piggyback off of what, uh, what Spencer said, um, be willing and open to have these conversations, be willing and open to teach. Also teachers be continually learners. Like, be continually open to learning everybody, everyone learn. Even if you consider yourself a teacher, uh, continue to learn and continue to open your mind and expand your thought process and expand um, what you're taking in and be mindful of where you're taking in your sources from, where you're taking in your information from. That's another thing. A lot of people are are misinformed about certain things, even though they feel like they're getting educated on. So be mindful of that. Be open and just uh, just treat everyone with respect. Be respectful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Vinny, I'll be that simple. close us off today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my biggest thing is be selfless. Um, I think we need more of it in the world. Um, and like Spencer and Charles both said, educate yourself and don't be afraid to have those conversations. Um, and I, I shouldn't even say don't be afraid. I think it's good to have, and I know you hit it on earlier, Chase, it's good to have emotions. Emotions help you. Um, it's be afraid having that conversation. And that's where strength comes from. You following through and acting upon it. Talk to your family. I think it starts with the family. I've, I've never been controversial in my entire life. And this is even, this shouldn't be controversial, but the media has made it that way. Um, and posting on Facebook where I have even a lot of family members who don't see eye to eye with myself and, and talking to them and, and almost making them decide and, and making them think um, about it. Because I, you know, using my platform to bring it up. And I think if more people do that and more people get out there and at least talk in their small circle that they do have and then expand that, um, I think we can definitely make some change, make some things happen. Um, and, and then the final thing, uh, just the uh, Miami Heat are taking the points uh, in the bubble this year. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, gentlemen, thank you again so much. This was fantastic. And again, like, I love all three of you guys played sports together, played football together. We've had a great time. Um, and I'm very happy for the friendships that we've been able to continue post sports. I mean, I've, I got to go work on my, my dad bod a little bit, so I got to <laughs> kind of get rid of the, the, the stomach fat, but anyways, guys, thank you again so much. And, um, I hope you guys have a wonderful Saturday and thanks for taking time out of your busy Saturdays. Cause I know this isn't the only thing you got on the dock. Thanks today. for tuning in. If you like the show, Appreciate make sure it. to leave us a review. Go ahead and check us out on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Millennial Way. And check out our website at itsmillennialtalk.com where there's new blog posts and updates. We will see you next Winning Wednesday. Go grab those dubs. This is The Millennial Way, tailoring the next generation of leaders.